Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Hello and welcome back to the BAC Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino and I'm here with Pastor Ryan. You know, Pastor Ryan, I've been thinking about something. Oh, that's good. Yeah, for once I've been thinking. <laughs> so, you know, sometimes in the church world, it's a little bit controversial about what we wear, right? It can be a touchy subject. It can be. But I was thinking, you know, it really makes sense for worship leaders to wear jeans. You know why? Why is that? Well, because in the Old Testament, if you think about it, the worship leaders in the temple... They were from the tribe of Levi's. Oh, boy. <laughs> I had to tell a dad joke. We've got Father's Day coming up, so I thought I would I would tell that in honor of being a, becoming a dad recently. Well, that's what happens. You get those jokes, that's for sure. It just comes naturally now. Wait till they go into elementary. You'll have oh, a ton of them. Well, anyway, moving on, we're working our way through the New Testament reading plan. You probably offended a lot of people right now. What? Levi's, jeans, platform, <laughs> what's this guy talking about? <laughs> they didn't even hear the joke. <laughs> yeah. So moving on to the reading plan, what we want to do this week is we want to intro the book of Romans. And my goodness, where to even begin with Romans? This is, I guess you could say, a, a literary masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, it's a book, that's for sure. Yeah. Possibly the most beloved or treasured book in all of Scripture. Of course, all of Scripture is God-breathed and is equally important. Mm-hmm. But I think if you were to ask a lot of people, what's your favorite book in Scripture? For a lot of people, this would this would be up there. John Piper called it the greatest letter ever written. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure I would disagree with him on that. Certainly a literary masterpiece, as I said. It's, it's really a lot of commentators would say the most complete presentation of Christian doctrine in one book. Yeah. That's not to say that this is a full systematic theology of Paul. He, he does leave out some topics, but sure. in terms of presenting the Christian doctrine in one book, this is one of the most complete It sure is. It's well thought out. Exactly. You can tell it's by more towards the end of his life because yes. he's got a lot of good thoughts. He's got a lot to say. And he writes this near the end of his, his third missionary journey. We know he spends about three months in and around Corinth in modern-day Greece. We know this from Acts 20. And it it seems like he's waiting for the end of winter, so he and his companions, so that would include like Timothy, so they can travel back toward Jerusalem to deliver the offering that they've been collecting. So his plan, Paul's plan, is to deliver the aid to the church in Jerusalem, then visit Rome, ultimately en route to Spain. He Mm -hmm. wants to get to Spain. The problem is it's wintertime, and winter travel on the Mediterranean Sea was generally not advised. It wasn't the wisest thing to do. So he's kind of held up for a few months. Mm -hmm. And this is likely when he writes Romans. He writes it from Corinth during this time. And how do we know he writes it from Corinth? This is just a little interesting thing here. In Romans 16.23, he says he's staying with Gaius, as he writes. And if we do a little investigative work here, we know from 1 Corinthians that Gaius is a Corinthian. So we know Paul is staying in Corinth as he writes this. So he likely writes Romans from Corinth during the winter of about 57 to 58 Mm -hmm. A.D. Now, one interesting thing I found here, Pastor Ryan, is that most ancient letters were actually very short. 
only about 87 words on average is what scholars have, have come up with. <laughs> so most New Testament letters are actually very long by ancient standards, except for maybe you know, Philemon, 2nd and 3rd John, maybe Jude. Those would be considered like average letters. But Romans, Romans is Paul's longest letter, at least that we have in the New Testament. So he said 87 is average. Romans is about 7,100 Greek words, over 9,000 in English. Pretty long letter. And given the cost of papyrus and labor, a letter like this would have cost Paul something like $2,000 in today's money. That's incredible. Yeah, that's quite a bit of money. And we know he dictated this letter. We know that from chapter 16, verse 22, it says, Tertius wrote the letter as Paul dictated. Mm -hmm. So this likely would have taken up to 11 painstaking hours to dictate this letter. Okay, so this this was a massive undertaking. <laughs> so don't don't picture Paul just sitting down on a lazy afternoon sipping a lemonade writing casually writing this letter. This this was a pretty big undertaking here. I also have to wonder the older you get, you know, happens to your eyes. Yeah. They don't That's true. they don't work so good. He may have dictated for a reason. Yes. <laughs> and we know from chapter 16 that Paul likely had Phoebe deliver the letter. He he commends her as he sends the letter. Uh, he says that she's from Sencre. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it's it's the city just east of, of Corinth, mm -hmm. so she would have been nearby. It made sense to send her to deliver the letter. She probably also read it out loud when she got there. Now, just a, a little bit of, of background on, on Rome as well, and, and feel free to jump in here at any point, Pastor Ryan. Uh, a little bit of background on Rome. Of course, this is the capital of the empire, mm -hmm. right? So this is the hub of the Roman Empire, very powerful empire. This is where the emperor would have spent most of his time. And Rome imported at least 200,000 tons of grain annually. Think about that, 200,000 tons. Wow. It may have had over 1 million people, which for an ancient city is it's just big city. unheard of. But the Jewish community in Rome during this period was probably only about twenty to 50,000. And they were generally very poor. Mm -hmm. And of course, like always, there's a, there's a lot of tensions, a lot of racial tensions here between the Jews and Gentiles. Ancient literature outside of scripture even suggests that Gentiles looked down upon the Jews, especially for uh, things like circumcision, Sabbath keeping, their food customs. They thought, you guys are crazy. Yes. It led to a lot of, a lot of tensions. They now, were sorted to themselves, too, you know? They were, so yeah. Because of that, it automatically starts to make you think they're a little bit different, a little weird. They, they don't, they're not part of our culture. Yeah. Yeah, because Jewish law required them to be separate, in a right. sense. So they kind of lived off on their own. And keep in mind that Christianity in Rome first started amongst the Jews. You can read about that in Acts 2 during Pentecost. Pentecost, there are some people from Pentecost, Rome. huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm a little tired. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> But by Paul's time, most of the believers in Rome were probably Gentiles. Because yeah. it, if you remember, we talked about this before, but in 49 AD, Emperor Claudius actually kicked the Jews out of Rome. Mm -hmm. There were some riots going on. There were disputes about the Christ. So he kicked the Jews out of Rome. Mm -hmm. Well, then Claudius dies in 54 AD, and his edict is, is repealed mm -hmm. automatically. So the Jews are allowed back in into Rome. So now you have Jews and Gentile Christians mixing with each other. Yeah. 
and they have very different ways of expressing their faith. Even though they all, all the Christians believe in Christ, they have very different approaches and very different mindsets when it comes to this. And you have to keep in mind there's a lot of just anti-Jewish sentiment in Rome to begin with. I sometimes think we don't really recognize how much tension there really was mm-hmm. concerning this. And if you think about it, you can see how people would struggle being of Jewish descent, where you would think the church was founded by Jews, Jews, you know. Jesus was a Jew. And then they get kicked out. Well, what happens to the church? It becomes more Gentile uh, Mm -hmm. predominant. And now the Jews are coming back, and so they're starting to struggle, feeling like they've come back to the church, and yet they're not. Yeah. So you you can sense that there's a lot of... Difficulties, And when you read Romans, you can see over and over, Paul's sort of addressing this problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to keep in mind, too. So from 49 to 54 AD, in Rome, there are no Jews in the churches. It's only Gentiles. Yeah. So it would become easy to almost fall for the temptation of, of thinking that Christianity is primarily a, a Gentile faith now. Right. We've kind of moved past the Jews. That's right. God's rejected them. Yep. And... Also, the, the situation in Rome, it seems that there were kind of different house churches of, of different groups of people. So kind of the Jews would be clustered together and, and the Gentiles clustered together. They're all worshiping Jesus. They're all mm-hmm. believers. But they it doesn't seem that they were necessarily in contact with each other. So you have like these very uh, – the church in Rome was very separated in right. a sense. It, it was not a unified church. You think about that in a big city, though. Yeah, right. So let's think a little bit now about why he's writing this letter. So ultimately, Paul wants to take the gospel to all nations, mm-hmm. right? He wants to preach Christ where he hasn't yet been been named, and he wants to get to Spain, right? Because in Paul's mind, Spain is the western edge of the known world, right? And but to get there, Paul needs a base of support, right? Missionary work is is always a team effort. Mm-hmm. It always involves multiple people. And Paul needed not only spiritual support, but financial support to get to, to Rome. And really his previous base through his, his first few missionary journeys had been Antioch. But Antioch was, was too far east. Right. Now at this point, he's moving beyond the eastern part of the, the Mediterranean Sea. Now he, he sets his sights for the west. Mm-hmm. And the obvious choice for a new base in the western part of the empire is Rome, the capital of the empire. And it's also a very strategic location to expand the gospel within Rome itself because it's the place where worship of the emperor, in a sense, was most prevalent. You know, if if you want to impact an empire, you go for the capital, right? This was a very strategic location. But ultimately, he's looking for support so that he can continue his his missionary work. And if the believers in Rome are going to support Paul, they kind of need to know a little bit about him and what he believes, Right? And keep in mind, Paul had never been to Rome. Now, he, he knew people who lived there, and it seems like he knew what was going on. It seems like Priscilla and Quilla might even be back. Correct, yeah. So he, he was very aware of the events going on in Rome. But Paul had never been there, so he writes this letter to help garner support for his future missions work. Some people call it almost like a, a missionary support letter. Yeah. A very good missionary support letter, I'll, I'll add, but... <laughs> And also keep in mind, like we said, the church of Rome was was fragmented. You have these different house churches. You have these Jewish and Gentile tensions. So Paul's trying to unify the church in Rome because if he's going to get to Spain, he needs the support of all the believers, Mm -hmm. not just a couple of the the house churches. Any other thoughts you had there at at this point, Pastor Ryan? I also think, though, um, 
at this time, they thought the Caesars were gods. Mm -hmm. So he's going right at the very heart of it and says, let me tell you who the real God is. Yeah, going right for the heart. Going right for the heart. Now, just a a quick kind of outline of the book as as we start to read this. Really, the, the central theme of the letter is, of course, the gospel. His thesis statement, if you want to say his main statement, he includes right there in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek or the, or the Gentile. So his, his main point is really that the gospel is for all people, Jews and Gentiles. And there are, there are a few different ways that you can kind of break down this letter, but the way I like to think of it is all of it relates back to the gospel. In chapters 1 through 8, he really he lays out the gospel itself. Mm-hmm. He, he shows us how the gospel redefines our relationship with God, you know, climaxing in, in chapter 8, which is probably one of the, the most important chapters in all of Scripture. Mm-hmm. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are more than conquerors with Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And then in chapters 9 through 11, those chapters are a little more difficult. But he kind of talks about how God redefines the people of God. And like I said, it's a very, very controversial section, a difficult section. But he's saying that the people of God now includes both Jews and Gentiles. Then chapters 12 through 15 is kind of how the gospel impacts our relationship with other people. He talks about gifts, submitting to authorities, love, not causing other people to stumble, all of those things. And then finally, chapter 16 he has kind of his conclusions and a long list of, of greetings that he includes mm-hmm. with this letter. But the thing to keep in mind is that the gospel is at the center of everything in this letter. And like I said, remember, he is trying to develop unity in the Roman church, and he's also trying to garner support for his eventual mission to to Spain. Mm-hmm. Any thoughts you had there on, on the just kind of the basic structure of the book? I think when you talk about the basic structure, I know as a church we're going through a reading plan. Mm-hmm. We want to stick to that, but if all possible, if someone could sit down and read the entire book in one mm. setting, yeah, it really helps us see it in a bigger picture. It does, yeah, and that's how it would have originally been read. Right. To you know, when when Phoebe delivered the letter, she would have read all the way through it. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have stopped and you know read one chapter a day over the course of <laughs> three weeks exactly. or whatever. Now, I, I'm sure there were times later on as they were going oh, back sure. through the letter where you, okay, let's really try to dig into what Paul's trying to say. Correct. But it would have been on the foundation of having already heard the letter mm-hmm. in one big, I think it was N.T. Wright who kind of compares it to a uh, listening to a symphony orchestra. Yeah. You know, it, it's not something you're just going to listen to little bits and pieces of it. it. Really, to get the full picture, you just have to listen to it from start to finish. The whole movement. The whole movement, Yeah. And one thing I was thinking about, too, is, you know, Paul's plan was, we said, to, to go to Jerusalem, then Rome, and then Spain. But in reality, he goes to Jerusalem, he gets arrested, mm-hmm. right? And then he, he does go to Rome, but under house arrest. And I was just thinking, isn't that how life goes? Yeah. It never goes the way we expect it to. We have these these great plans, but then Paul, he never even makes it to Spain, and I think there sometimes is a, a temptation to think, why, God? Paul just wanted to do great things for your name. Why Why didn't you let him do what he wanted to do? And sometimes we think that in our own lives, right? I just want to do things to glorify your name. Why aren't things working out? But if you think about it, and I'm not saying this is the whole reason that Paul was under 
house arrest, but while he was under house arrest in Rome, Paul was able to write four different letters, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. We call them the prison letters. Mm -hmm. Those are some of the most treasured New Testament letters. Imagine the New Testament without those letters. And again, I'm not saying that's the entire reason Paul went through what he did, but God used the situation that Paul was in to preserve letters that we're still reading today. Yeah, think of the impact that those letters have had on the faith. Yeah. Again, in the moment, I'm sure it was very frustrating for Paul that he Mm -hmm. couldn't do what he wanted to do. But long-term, God knew what he was doing. Yes. Well, any other thoughts that you have, Pastor Ryan? Anything you'd like to add? And just keep thinking about how Paul just had such a heart to reach the world. Mm -hmm. And he believed that the kingdom, I think he felt that the kingdom of Christ was going to come back if he could reach the world. And yet he didn't realize that there was a North America, South America, China, India. The world was a little bit bigger than what he realized. And yet how we're a piece of the um, picture still today Mm -hmm. of evangelizing the world. Yeah, we get to be part of the greatest cause in all the world. Yeah. That's something that I, I think about, you know, it seems like people today are so hungry for a cause they can get behind, mm-hmm. and they'll get behind almost anything that has a decent following and somebody who's relatively articulate as a leader. But as a church, we have we have the greatest, most impactful, we're talking eternal consequences. Yes. Here. So let, let's live with that same kind of intensity that Paul had. He had that single-minded focus. Mm-hmm. Like, like we said before, they had to arrest Paul and throw him in prison to try to just slow him down. <laughs> But for most of us, we need a kick in the pants sometimes just to get going. I know. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. You, you definitely see his heart for the nations here in this letter. Well, any final thoughts that we have on, on Romans? It's a book, that's for sure. Yeah. I know we'll be uh, in it a little bit. So Yeah. We'll work through some of the more difficult sections. I think and... we need to do that. There's some areas that we might even, the podcast might be a little bit longer, but I think we can have to tackle some of these difficult yeah. issues. I think especially uh, chapters 9 through 11, if you've already gotten there, maybe you're a little bit ahead in the plan. Those are difficult chapters, but we'll touch on those more in the weeks ahead. Well, make sure you tune in for our our future episodes on Romans. For now, remember to keep listening. Remember, we want to equip you and help you get into the Word until it gets into you. And we want to equip you so that you can go out and you can be a world changer.